seven of uh, our 11 that we're going through. And this week, we're actually going to take a look at that actual passage about loving one another. And love makes you do a lot of, a lot of crazy things, doesn't it? A lot of things that you might not do otherwise if you didn't love, like staying up super late at a coffee shop studying so you could take the barista home after she was done her shift, right? Maybe that. Or maybe calling long distance to India uh, to a friend who's on a missions trip in the 90s when the, uh, your long distance rates are exorbitant. Maybe, maybe that would be something love would cause you to do. Or maybe for some of us, it was spending like a month's wages on a, an engagement ring for somebody, right? Maybe love causes you to adopt when you already have five kids, or to ride water slides all day long with your kids. Or to get a, another dog when you said you were one and done with a dog. And then end up with chickens. And some of you guys have drawn the line there, right? You drawn the line. You drew the line maybe at the kids, all five, six kids. You're like, okay, all right, I'm out. Maybe you're like meatloaf, right? <laughs> when he said, you know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> I won't do that. Now, these are, these are some examples from my life of what love has caused me to do and caused us to do. But we're, we're honest with ourselves. Uh, even with healthy love, even when we're exhibiting healthy forms of love, there's an often a that, a place that we won't go, something we won't do in the name of love. Places where love in our own strength is we're not willing to go. And we may uh, be insanely sacrificial and courageous for our family. But outside of our family, uh, the love dries up pretty quickly. We may tolerate a coworker for a few minutes before we end up snapping and being short with them. An enemy may get a kind or a best neutral response from us but our hearts strike a totally different tone, don't they, in how, where we really are with them. We don't seem to be able to abide with the gushing emotion like we would if we see a, a video of, of little puppies, right, when we're dealing with others. That same emotion we drop where we're like, oh, isn't that so cute? When we see puppies, it's not the same emotion we see when we see somebody walking down the street that we may have had an issue with. And we see them, we're not, oh, isn't it a chance to run away before they see me, right? Our hearts are fickle in how we express love. There's a dichotomy between those words of how we're supposed to act and what we actually do, the words of Christ and our actions, and they need to be resolved. They need to be resolved in our, in our hearts, which is why how we live out our faith requires something deeper than what our natural love will do, how far it will go. And Jesus knew that we would need something deeper. In the days before he was leaving the disciples, leaving earth, before he would ultimately go to the cross, Jesus spoke to his disciples about the type of love that they would need to have. He says, Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, 
So now I also will say to you, where, am I go- where I am going, you cannot come. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. God, we just thank you today for your love for us, for your love that, that compelled you to the cross, that compelled you to obey what your Father asked you to do, Jesus. We thank you for the love that you've expressed to us. And God, as we consider today the love that you ask us to have for one another, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you lead us and guide us in the actions that we are supposed to have, the acts of repentance that we may need to have with one another today, and also the sacrificial acts of love that I know you'll require of us tomorrow and the next day and the next day to love as you have loved us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, maybe like many of you or like me, you read that and you're like, a new command. This doesn't sound like a new command. I feel like he said this before somewhere else. I feel like he's talked about loving one another or, or how we're supposed to treat each other over and over again. And I don't understand why there's a newness to this. It seems like God's been asking this of us from the very beginning. We can look at Leviticus 19, 17 to 18, where he says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Seems like loving each other this way has been spoken right from the start. So what's new about it? What's new in what Jesus was saying? This is a new command I give to you. I think there's something much deeper and richer that God is asking of us than we can muster up in our own when he says, a new command I give to you. It's because it's seen in how Jesus loved us. There's a newness in it because Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you. And the way that Jesus loves us is probably not how most of us have have stirred up love for each other on a regular basis. It's a whole new standard and one that will cause us to love in ways that we've never expected. Now, before we get into that new standard, I think we need to acknowledge something that will inevitably come up when we try to love this way. That the scenarios that we find ourselves in where God says, love, not hate. And we say, do I actually have to do this? This is so hard. And this is the thing. It's found right in those first words. That we are under authority. This is not an option. This is not an ask. This is not an advisement. It's a command. 
Jesus spells this out for us clearly. A new commandment I give to you. And why is this important? Why do I point that part out? Because I don't think it's possible for us to live out and achieve love like Christ unless we are under the authority of Christ. If we do not submit to him fully in every aspect of our lives, imperfectly, yet we're working at it, how can his love flow freely through us? How can he tell us what to do when there are areas of our lives that he cannot touch? It also speaks to the level of authority that Christ can give you and impart to you. What can he entrust to you if your submission to him has limits or conditions? If it's conditional on him not putting you out too much, humbling you, or you gain nothing, or you say to him, I would do anything, but I won't do that. This puts us in a precarious position one which Jesus spoke about as he expanded on this commandment to his disciples in the, the following uh, conversation that he had to him, where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, when we're being fully in Christ, submitted to him and covered by him, that is the starting place of our love for one another. And it's actually the only place that we can truly live it out. Every other effort bears no fruit. For us to love one another as Christ has loved us, it requires us to live in his love and to live out his love to abide in him in order to see that happen. Jesus would use that word abiding to describe this. In John 15, 8 to 11, again, in the, the greater expanding of when he says, this is the command I give to you, as he's unraveling this for them so they understand it, he says this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It starts with us believing that Jesus is worth our submission. Not that he needs us to believe in him, rather the opposite, that we need to believe that he is worth our submission, putting our full trust in, putting our full trust to the part that we say, God, whatever you say, I will obey. Because in, in you is life. In you, I find exactly what I'm looking for. And apart from you, everything in my life ends up fruitless. Yeah, for sure, I may have money. Yeah, for sure, I may have a nice house. Maybe, maybe I have all these toys and trinkets in my life, but it's fruitless in my heart. Because when I lay on my pillow at night and my mind thinks of eternal things, everything that I'm grasping in my hands means nothing. 
So I cling to you. I cling to you, God, because you are worth it. You are worth believing in. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What a direct correlation God makes there, isn't it? Belief and obedience. Our abiding is in our obedience to him. It's when we read God's word and navigate life based upon his principles and the Holy Spirit guiding us. Our obedience, submission to his will over ours is how we center ourselves in his love. I found it interesting that God used three ways to to talk about abiding. He would say, abide in me, abide in my love, and abide in my word. And the centrality of all those things puts us in this place. And it's from this place that we will experience the joy of our salvation, the fullness of what he has for us, even in our present imperfect condition and circumstances where we don't have everything that we think should make us happy and give us joy, and yet there's a joy in our heart that's so deep that says all these material things, all this stuff doesn't bring me joy. Jesus does. We abide in his love. And from this place of grace, from the love of God extended to us, life, true life in him, The freedom we find from abiding in his love means that we can now live out his love. And so what does it look like to live out his love? When Jesus gave them this command, their minds would have immediately looked back on the moment that just had had happened right before dinner. Because in this evening, the evening right before Jesus is arrested, and tried and leading to his crucifixion, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. God washed his disciples' feet. He got down on his hands and knees, and it wasn't like just taking off your shoes and getting rid of a little lint between the toes. They walked in sandals on dusty paths where their feet would be sweaty in a, in a Mediterranean culture and caked with mud and dirt from walking all over the place. And he got down on his knees with a bowl and with a cloth tied around his waist and he washed their feet. He says that we are supposed to do the same. We're supposed to serve each other in that same regard. Their minds would have gone to the countless ways that he had shown love to them and served them in the three years that he had spent with him. And as their minds recalled his words, that less than 24 hours from then, on the cross, he would suffer and die as an ultimate gift of his love for the sin of the world was thrust upon him. In John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, someone lay down his life for his friends. As we live out his love, we allow the work of Christ 
in us to not only fill us, but to overflow through us. We bear fruit, which is the loving of others and seeing the work of God pour out of us like an offering for others. And it finds itself pouring out in extremely practical ways, like the washing of feet that Jesus did in their culture, where we live with the heart of Christ to serve our brothers and sisters. We are attentive to the needs of this family to see how God will seek our obedience in unity, in harmony, having no needs among us. It would be all also poured out in deeper ways where God will look for our obedience to forgive one another, to cover one another, our sisters and our brothers and their shortcomings as they grow in their faith rather than attack them while they're still learning to submit to Christ. It would look like intercession and things done in secret to build up and edify the body of Christ where no one knows what you have done but God because you have done it for no other reason except love. It'll look like radical generosity that doesn't hurt because you don't claim ownership over what is God's. And that's what led to the followers of Jesus to share their position, their possessions so that none was in need. I know getting to this place is not easy. It's not easy to get to a place where you can love so unconditionally, where you can love so radically, where you can look others in the face even though they have offended you and you can speak with love. It's not easy. We all have experienced love in our lives in so many broken and selfish ways that have not served us well, that have created habits in us of broken love, We've had examples of broken love in our families that seem to repeat generation after generation where we seem, to, we seem to have the same things happening and we don't know how to see it stop. We have experienced such broken love from the church that it leaves us skeptical and hesitant to be able to trust in church again. We live in a world that has a deficit of love. Division, selfishness are so common. And these are all excruciatingly tragic and in need of healing and to be corrected. Patterns, habits, behaviors that need to be broken in our cities, families, and church family. So how do we get there? How do we love like God in this way? Again, I believe an important step is in understanding, abiding in, and clinging to the love of Christ. Knowing the value of the love of Christ, the safety and security in him, of abiding in him, it allows us to give it away, to love others well, when we are so sure of the love of Christ for us. Because when we don't abide in him, we're afraid to love. Because we're afraid of the rejection, the fear of being hurt, being used by others doesn't allow us to love like Christ loved us because we're not abiding in that love that he has for us. Because in abiding, we realize that any rejection, any abuse, it doesn't devalue the love that we've given or lessen it because it came from God. 
And his love cannot be devalued or lessened. There's an overflowing abundance of it that keeps flowing from him to us so that we are never in a deficit of love when we love like him because it's overflowing through us. And no one can steal your joy because your joy isn't in how others treat you. Your joy is in your salvation. As we close today, each of us is called to look internally and discern where we are at. The first one, does our belief in Christ Jesus lead to obedience? Today, maybe you're here and you've never actually given your life to Christ in a daily walking out way, not in a one-time decision, but in a, I am choosing to be a follower of Jesus. I will have ups, I will have downs, but I am on that path and I'm looking to submit my life fully to Christ in everything I do, knowing that he will forgive and walk when I fail. Does our belief in Jesus Christ lead to obedience or following his commands? Number two, do we abide in and obey Jesus as he did his father? He heard what the Father would say, and he would do what the Father said. He said, anything you see me do, you're seeing the Father, because I only do what the Father tells me to do. Are we trying to mirror our relationship that Jesus had with his Father, with us, with Jesus, looking at the words of Jesus and saying, whatever he said to do, I'm going to do. Whatever he said to live like, I'm going to live like, because I'm going to mirror him as much as possible in my life. Number three, have we allowed the love of God to heal and reform us? Like I said, so many of us come from broken forms of love. We've experienced and given so much broken love that we need the healing presence of God in our lives and the reforming presence of God in our lives so that we can love like Jesus has loved us. And number four, does the love of God flow freely through you? Flee freely through us? Or do we limit how God can love through us? Do we place limits on it and say, God, don't ask me to love them. Don't ask me to, to do any act of love towards them because of what they've done to me, what they've spoken about me, who they've hurt that I know that I just can't do that. God, don't put, don't do that to me, God. Or do we allow him to go to those places and say, God, I need to surrender this to you too. I need to lay this down at your feet so I can be fully abiding in your love. Help me to do so. Today, how you answer these questions matter. The level of submission in our hearts to Christ and abiding in him is paramount in finding the strength to obey this command. Today, listen to the Holy Spirit. What actions do you need to take? What do you need to do to walk that out this week? To walk differently than you've walked the last few days or weeks or years? To allow the love of Christ to be so complete in you that it's what flows out of you? 
talk that it with someone this week. Take steps with someone else this week. Tell someone to say, man, I, I heard this word from God. Told me I need to change some things. This is what I need to change. I'm going to start walking that out this week. And I'm letting you know so that the power of exposing it to somebody else helps me have traction in actually walking this out. That I don't just hear it from God and then, and then go, yeah, 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 God, I'm going to do that. And then it fades. Walk it out with someone. Let's pray. A new commandment you have given us, Jesus, to love as you have loved us. My goodness, we can barely understand what that even means, let alone fully participate in it. That the God of heaven and earth would become incarnate, would become human, would express his love in such a powerful way, covering the sins of humanity on the cross, having them all thrust upon you because you say you love us. And then, God, for us to have to love others have you, as you've loved us. God, that only comes when we fully submit to you, when we fully are under your authority, when we allow you to heal us, reform us, and our obedient steps are an act of love to you. God, as individuals, as a family here, as Life Center, God, help us to do this. Help us to do this with one another so that the world will know that we are yours, that we abide in you because our unity and our love for one another speaks to that, that how we treat them because of the love that pours out of this so radical, so sacrificial, because it's not ours, it's yours. May you lead us and guide us that. May we humbly approach you and abide in you today. Amen. Amen. Each week we give you a step to focus on how to live this out. And right now I'm going to interrupt myself to say, if you didn't get your communion elements and you need them, just put up your hand and one of, our, one of our ushers will come and give it to you. We're going to take communion today. But this week's step is focused on how we live out the love that God has been freely giving to us and depositing in us. Neighbors, co-workers, friends, this week, show radical love in action towards someone that doesn't deserve it. Find a way to show radical love to people that you're like, Man, everything in me, in my flesh says they don't deserve this type of treatment. But as an act of loving and abiding in Christ, I want to do this in order to break that within me that says they don't deserve it. Because Jesus said they deserve his love. Because he freely gives his love. Now communion that we take at the beginning of every month as we as a reminder, it's such a precious way for us to focus our abiding in Him, our submission to Him, and our hope in Christ Jesus. Communion is commanded 
by Christ Jesus as a symbolic way to remember what he is for us and to anticipate his return. It's a regular remembrance of the celebration of the Lord's sacrificial death. The breaking and the eating of bread was to do with Christ's body being broken on the cross. And the drinking of the cup was to do with the shedding of Christ's blood whereby we are forgiven. Then he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In eating the bread, we participate in the life of Christ and dedicate ourselves to being his disciples, abiding in his love. Let us eat together. You pull back the first clear layer to reveal the bread. Let us eat together. Today, Jesus, as your followers, we eat this bread to participate as you in your body. To humble ourselves before you. To abide in you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink of it, in remembrance of me. And in drinking the cup, we participate in the new life that Christ brings. In living out his love, let us drink together. Whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim our need for his saving grace in our lives. God, we thank you for your saving grace. We thank you for everything you've done for us. And taking communion today, God, we declare our need for your salvation, for your saving, for your redeeming. And we long for the day that we will be together again to celebrate what you have done with you. We thank you, Jesus.